Welcome to the Life Together podcast. Life Together is a Wednesday gathering for worship, Bible study, and community at Discover Church in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We hope that this week's message will encourage you and challenge you. Our mission here at Discover Church is to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. I enjoy uh, introducing my kids to old TV shows, the shows that I grew up on as a kid. I grew up in a very G-rated household, and so even the shows that I watched when a kid weren't currently on TV, they were still reruns even when I was a kid. So shows like Andy Griffith, uh, shows like I Love Lucy, and so I like introducing my kids to those. The one that we recently have done just in the last couple weeks is the Flintstones, out of things you would clap for in a sermon. I'm glad this is one of them. Um, we found a new streaming service that was on our TV that my kids discover as kids are very good at knowing tech better than we do. So they found the streaming service. Look at all these old TV shows. And so we started watching the Flintstones. I like streaming services. I like them because it allows me to be very specific with the TV that I do watch. What I don't like about them is all of the, the shows that I have to scroll past in order to find the show that I want to watch. Um, I want you to imagine tonight that you discover a new streaming service on your phone or laptop or TV. And you open the app up, and the first show that pops up is the, a movie about a man who intentionally sets his daughter on fire. So you scroll past it, and then the next one is about, it's a dark comedy about a man who has a woman drop a rock on his face from a tower, and he's so mad that he might possibly die at the hands of a woman that he has his best friend stab through him and kill him just so he doesn't die from a woman. It's a dark comedy. And then the next one you look at is a romance, and it's about a man who marries a Philistine, sleeps with a prostitute, and then lets the next unmarried lover that he's with cut his hair. Yeah. So it's not a streaming service. All those are in your Bible. The three stories I just named are all found within the 21 chapters of the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is tricky, and we're going to spend six weeks walking through it together. In the book of Judges, you are going to see different men and women that are called to action by God for a specific role, for a specific victory. We're going to take the next six weeks, and we're going to specifically look at six of these judges, and we're going to learn their stories, and we're going to find out what's going on. If I can help you find the timeline of the book of Judges, this is going to be after the stories of Moses and Joshua, but before the stories of King Saul and King David. It was a unique time for the kingdom of Israel. They were a nation, and yet they didn't have any centralized government, no official army or council or king. The best description of what it was like to live in Israel during the time of the judges is found in the very last verse of the last chapter of the book of Judges. And the Bible says this in Judges 21:25. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Can we pray together as we walk into God's word tonight? Father, we thank you for this community. We thank you for the joy that is in this house tonight. We thank you for what it means for brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage each other, to cheer each other on, and to challenge each other as we live our lives together for you. I pray that as we spend time in your word tonight that it would be transformative to our thinking and to our feeling. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Can I ask you, um, how would you drive if there were no rules? If there were no rules, would your children still go to school? If there were no rules, would you still choose to pay your taxes? Preaching from the book of Judges is challenging. A preacher once described the book of Judges as despicable people doing deplorable things. In a few minutes, we're going to introduce our first judge for this series. But because this book is so challenging, I want to take a little bit of time before we get to our first judge to talk about some of the challenges that exist in the book of Judges, some of the reasons it might be difficult to read or reasons it might be difficult to study or to preach. Challenge number one is heroes or villains. There are two ways that you'll hear preachers preach through Judges. The first approach is called exemplary, where we look through the Old Testament for examples of how we should live. So Gideon won a mighty victory, so maybe we should be like Gideon. Samson won a mighty victory, so maybe we should be like Samson. This is a great way to teach children, and it's not necessarily the wrong way to teach adults. The problem is, is that these people aren't perfect people. Some of these people do some phenomenally wicked things. So should we treat them like heroes or treat them like villains? The other approach is called redemptive. And this is where every verse and every story in the Bible points to Christ. So the takeaway isn't that you should be like Samson. The takeaway is that Samson was a broken savior, but Jesus is a perfect savior. And so in these shell heroes, we can see the true hero who is still yet to come. We're going to use a little bit of both of these approaches over the coming weeks. And maybe this is a good question to kind of keep spinning in the back of your head. Are these heroes or are these villains? Challenge number two is murder or mercy. There is a lot of blood and violence in the book of Judges. There is a lot of war in the book of Judges. The first two verses of chapter one read like this. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, which tribe should go first to attack the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah, for I have given them victory over the land. This isn't just men killing men. This is God telling men to kill men and women and children. The fifth commandment is you must not murder. The seventh commandment is you must not steal. And God seems to be setting both of those aside for a moment. When we hear words today like genocide or ethnic cleansing, a contemporary reader might ask, isn't that what's happening here in the book of Judges? We could talk about this challenge for several hours. If you have any questions about it, I would love to hear your questions after the service is over because this can be a stumbling block for many young people, for many Gen Zers and millennials who read the Old Testament and say, this God seems very violent. How can he also be a God of mercy? I do want to make three quick points on this topic. So the first is, is this isn't genocide because this isn't about race. Rahab was the woman who snuck the Israelites into Jericho, and she was a Canaanite. Rahab is an early example of a godly interracial marriage. She is honored in Matthew chapter 1 to be in the lineage of Christ. These wars are not against a specific race of people. These wars are against idolatry and pagan worship. 
Number two, this isn't imperialism. So Israel isn't just trying to get bigger for the sake of power. They aren't just trying to get richer for the sake of power. In Joshua 7, there's a man named Achan who's punished after a victory because he does what was totally normal. He collects the plunder from the city that had been conquered, which was a completely normal process for any other conquering army. And yet this man gets punished because God is making a statement that that's not what this is about. This isn't about expanding a kingdom. This is about purifying a kingdom. The third point is this, is judgment doesn't always wait. Last Wednesday, we talked about the final day of judgment when every wrong will be made right. And that judgment is coming. That day is coming. But sometimes judgment doesn't always wait. There are moments in history and in our lives where God allows the consequences of our sin to come now. So relationships break. Punishment comes. Sometimes for the Canaanites and sometimes for the Israelites, and sometimes for us, judgment doesn't always wait. Challenge number three of going through the book of Judges is the question of pride or humility. I am 99.9% sure that no one in this room has killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey, so good for you. It would be very easy for a contemporary reader to go all the way through the book of Judges and allow a certain phrase to stick in their head, and here's the phrase, well, I would never do that. And you could sit there through this book, listen to these crazy people do some crazy things, and you could distance yourself or even heighten yourself to look down on them and say, well, that's so terrible, I would never do that. Our cultural context is extremely different from the time of the Judges. There are things they experienced that you will never understand. There are things we experienced that they wouldn't understand. There are things that they did you would never do, but there are things that you have done that they would never do. Author Timothy Keller encourages our humility when he says this. I'm going to read something to you from author Timothy Keller. He says, when we read of these ancient men and women, We do need humbly to remember that our own inner natures and hearts are not fundamentally better than theirs were. Their flaws may be different, and the effects of time wit larger than ours, but they flow from the same rebellious heart as ours. We must be willing to look for the ways in which we are like the people in the narrative and not pander to our pride, but focusing on the ways in which we are better than them. I want to share with you the main idea for this series, and we're going to do our best to repeat this mission statement for all six weeks of the series. Here it is. Behind every rebellion is the opportunity for reconciliation. Behind every failure is the opportunity for forgiveness. And behind every imperfect hero is a perfect God. I realize that I haven't left myself much time to look at our first judge, but that's not a problem today because the Bible also doesn't take a long time to tell us about our first judge. He, The Bible does it in about six or seven verses, and we're going to turn there now and meet our first judge. His name is Othniel. In verse 7 of Judges chapter 3, the Bible says, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God, and they served the images of Baal and the Asherah poles. It's so disheartening how quickly the people of God forget 
about God. It's interesting in uh, Old Testament reference, you hear the words remember and you hear the words forget used very often. And it's easy for us to think they mean the same things that they would mean to us. You know, if I don't remember how to get to your house, I'm going to need some help. That's not what they're saying. When they use the word remember or forget, it's more about the way that we honor these things. So when they're saying that Israel forgot God, well, they didn't forget his name. They didn't forget the Ten Commandments. They knew all of these things, and yet they had made decisions in their heart to walk away from him. You know, these people are only one generation removed from the people who marched around Jericho and saw those walls crumble with a shout. God's miracles aren't ancient stories to them. They are literally the stories of their parents. And yet, so quickly, they've chosen to rebel. Rather than worshiping Yahweh, they are worshiping the weather gods and infertility gods of pagan culture. There are three types of rebellion that I would like to identify tonight and allow us to kind of see what those look like, both in biblical context as our lives as well. And the first type of rebellion I want to look at tonight is ignorance. Ignorance says, I didn't know it was wrong. No one told me. If someone would teach me what is right and what is wrong, I will be able to identify my rebellion and choose a different path. But I didn't know, and I was ignorant in my rebellion. Have you ever been there? Is there anyone in your life in this season that you would say is in that same stage of rebellion, that they are in a stage of rebellion led by ignorance? The second type of rebellion is defiance. So defiance says, I know it's wrong, but I don't care. I'm either not scared of the consequences or I believe that they won't actually be consequences. I'm going to do what I want even though I know it's wrong. Even though I know it displeases God, even though I know that it will put me on a path to destruction, I'm going to defy what I know and follow a path of rebellion led by defiance. Have you ever been there? Is there anyone in your life that you would say in this season is in a season of rebellion led by defiance? The third type of rebellion is indifference. And indifference says there is no wrong and there is no right. There are no rules. No choice or belief is any better than any other. So I'm going to choose what I want. And because I choose it, it is right for me. Have you ever been there? Is there anyone that you know in your life in this season that would be in a season of rebellion led by indifference? Let me ask, did the people of Israel rebel in ignorance? No, no, no. They knew the law of Moses. They knew about God's deliverance of the Israel people from Egypt, from the Red Sea, from Jericho. Their rebellion was somewhere between defiance and indifference. They knew it was wrong, but then somewhere along the way, they decided that right or wrong didn't matter. They had the freedom to make wrong right. We stated in our opening mission statement that behind every rebellion is the opportunity for reconciliation. And that roadmap for reconciliation in the book of Judges is phenomenally repetitive. You are going to see Israel go through this process in a very similar way over and over again. Uh, about the Old Testament is the way that describes our relationship to God. You see, what, what will happen over and over again shows us the pattern in which we walk, and we walk from our destruction to our 
reconciliation. Pastor preached a great message on reconciliation this Sunday, how we can be reconciled to God and how we can be reconciled to each other. What's so unique about the Old Testament is the way that it describes our relationship with God communally and not only individually. As a community, it isn't just about my relationship with God or your relationship with God, but there is a part that matters when I talk about our relationship with God. It's the difference between the prayer, God forgive me of my sins, and the prayer, God forgive us of our sins. I want to walk you through the four stages of reconciling with God. And the first stage is pain. Judges chapter 3 verse 8 says, Then the Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he turned them over to King Kushan Rishathaim of Aram Naharaim. And the Israelites served Kushan Rishathaim for eight years. That's eight years of pain. Eight years of slavery and poverty. Did you know that pain is part of the process? You know, what if you picked up a hot pan and you didn't feel anything? What if you lied or cheated and never got caught or never felt the pain of remorse? Would there be repentance without pain? Can I speak to all of my parents and grandparents in the room here for a moment? There are many times with our children that we want them to get to repentance but yet we make the wrong choice of trying to shield them from every pain that's out there. We think that if we shield them from pain and we just really hope that at some point they'll just really feel sorry. Well, it didn't work that way for Israel and doesn't work that way for us. If you are hateful to others, you might need to feel the pain of being friendless for a while. If you, are, if you lie or cheat or steal, you might need to feel the pain of being untrusted. Pain forces you to move, and God can use pain in your life just as well as he can use comfort. If you are in a season in life that does not feel comfortable, I want to encourage you tonight to make sure that God has your attention, to make sure that you are listening closely, to make sure that you are in tune with him. Sometimes pain is a test. Sometimes it is a test to prepare you, to teach you to persevere, for God to strengthen you and to build you through the trial. And sometimes pain is calling you to repentance. The second stage is repentance. I'm going to read verse 9 from Judges chapter 3. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz. You know, revival will always be more popular than repentance. But revival will never come without repentance. We cannot be filled until we are first emptied. And we must see that come from repentance. It's always exciting to be at an awesome worship service. We hear about like the great revival services of, of this century or the century that are before, and we see them, and we see all the great works and the miracles and the great preaching and the great music, and we can celebrate all of that, and we can so easily forget the quiet repentance that started those great revivals. That it is that humble heart of repentance that moves us forward towards reconciliation. I want to share with you a prayer today, a prayer of repentance that um, spoke to my heart, and I hope that it speaks to your heart tonight. Father, bring light to the actions in our lives 
and the attitudes in our hearts that are displeasing to you. When we see our sin, help us to not underreact, but to grieve somberly and hope tenaciously. Can we pause here and just give this a moment? I'm thinking tonight as we're walking on a path from pain to peace, that God would allow his Holy Spirit to bring some things to light to us. You know, none of us are past this. You can know Christ 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And there can be still areas of our heart. There can be attitudes in our heart that are rebellious. And we need to hear the voice of his Holy Spirit to call to us and to call us in humble repentance. I want to read this one more time. Father, bring light to the actions in our lives and the attitudes in our hearts that are displeasing to you. When we see our sin, help us to not underreact, but to grieve somberly and hope tenaciously. Amen. The third stage is leadership. Verse 10 of Judges chapter 3 says this, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, Othniel, and he became Israel's judge. He went to war against King Kushan Rishathaim of Aram, and the Lord gave Othniel victory over him. When the people repent, God anoints a leader to lead the people out of rebellion. You know, I'm so thankful for the people in my life that have helped to lead me out of rebellion. It started off with my parents, and then there have been many meaningful spiritual mentors, uh, many close friends who have helped me along the way. My wife, who has helped me along the way to lead me out of rebellion, and that when I have a repentant heart, I have someone to help show me the way. Othniel was the person to help show them the way. There is someone in your life that God anointed to help lead you out of rebellion. Pastor Brooks is anointed to lead our church, this group of Christ followers, out of rebellion and into reconciliation. When we discover and become, we discover that our path wasn't going to work. And then God allows us to become who he's created us to be. This draws us to repentance, and then we can become who God has created us to be. The fourth stage is peace. Judges 3.11 says this, So there was peace in the land for 40 years. Then Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. The path is rebellion to reconciliation. The path is pain to peace. And doesn't peace sound great? Doesn't 40 years of peace sound great? That is no small accomplishment. In the comparison of the six judges that we're going to look at in these six weeks, Othniel is a pretty good one. The Bible doesn't share any of his misdeeds or sins. There's no terrible deed or vengeful act. So what is it that makes Othniel an imperfect hero? You know, he's imperfect because his peace ends. He has 40 years of peace, and at the end of the 40 years, he dies a natural death, and peace dies with him. And Israel goes back to their sinful ways. Behind every imperfect hero is a perfect God. And I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity to serve the Prince of Peace, and his peace will never end. I want to ask you, where are you tonight on your path from pain to peace? As we look through these different stages tonight, I'm curious what lights up in your mind that would well 
define the stage of life that you're in right now. <laughs> that I'm sure there are people in this room who would say, life right now is pretty painful. And I want to remind you that pain in your life can be one of two things, and I'm not going to be the person tonight to tell you the difference. Is that sometimes pain is a test for you to endure, for you to persevere, for God to reveal his character to you through the test so that you would be stronger at the end of this trial. And sometimes pain is God calling you to repentance. And the only person that can help you know the difference is the Holy Spirit is for you to call on his name, to listen to your heavenly Father, and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you. And if the Holy Spirit re reveals to you that pain is God trying to get your attention because there is sin in your heart and in your life, I pray that tonight would be the night that God would call you from pain into repentance. What does it mean to be in a season of repentance? I think uh, repentance involves a lot of humility. I think sometimes we can walk through life so confidently, you know, with I've got all the answers. I know exactly what's right and what's wrong, and I've got it all figured out. And humility and repentance always causes us to lower our heads, to bow before God, and to say, I don't know all the answers. I'm not sure. I need to hear your voice. I need you to pull some things out within inside of my heart that you would be glorified, that my heart would be purified, that my life would be purified. I want to see righteousness. I want to see peace. And the only way I'm going to see that is if you would allow this season of repentance to clean up some things inside of me. I wonder if anyone in the room tonight would feel like they were in a stage of leadership that there might be someone who has a voice in your life to help you take those steps. Many times we can be a people who are very defensive towards leadership, that God might place someone in your life who is an authority, someone who is a, a parent or a boss or a friend in Christ, and the first time they push that button and they say, hey, I wonder if you don't have the best attitude here. We can just flash on fire. We can cut them out of our lives. We can walk away. We can tell them to never ask those questions again. Every single one of us needs leaders in our lives to help lead us from pain to peace. I want to pray that if you're someone in this life who says, man, I want to get towards peace, but I just don't feel like I have a leader. I just don't feel like there is someone bringing that voice in my life. I want to pray tonight that God will send you that leader, that as he anointed Othniel, he will anoint someone in your life to bring you into those next steps. If you're in a season of peace tonight, praise God. Give him praise tonight and thank him that he is the prince of peace who never dies. It doesn't end. It's the things that make him a it's the things that make him a perfect hero. Who make him a perfect God because he's not going to fail you the way that I'm going to fail you, the way that your friends are going to fail you, the way that any other person might fail you. God will never fail. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you're with us tonight, and I pray that your spirit would be speaking to us tonight. Not my, by my words, but by your words. Not by power, not by might, but by your spirit. I pray that we would sense your direction in our hearts. I pray for anyone who feels moved to call upon your name in repentance tonight. I pray that you would meet them as you always do with your bountiful grace. 
that you would meet them with armloads of forgiveness and that they would know what it means to be an adopted child of God, what it means to be welcomed into the kingdom, what it means to be met with peace and love and affection. I pray for those of us tonight who are looking for leaders. I pray that you would teach us how to be led. Many times we can reject voices of leadership in our lives and we end up without those voices. And I pray that you would teach us what it means to be submissive in our roles. Teach us what it means to listen to others and to allow us to be led by the wise voices that you would send to us. I pray for peace in this room. I pray, Lord, for those who are in a season of pain and challenge. I pray that your peace would rest in their hearts tonight. I pray that as they surrender to you, they would allow a sweet peace to rest that allows them to walk through any storm knowing that you are with them and that you will carry us all the way through. We love you. I praise you for this night. And I pray, Lord, that you would just allow our hearts to be encouraged as we leave this place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we see you in person. Join us Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. right here at Discover Church. Find us online at discoverchurch.org.